Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Philippians chapter 1 is the text of our lesson this morning. Philippians chapter 1. Take your Bibles and open up there if you have not done so already. You know, there are things in our life that should bring us great joy. I don't know what it is in your life that brings you great joy. For some reason, us as humans, we find great joy in pets. So many of us look at the pets that we have and our heart just feels warm when we see those lifelong friends that we have had in our home. Many of you, maybe you find joy in your children. Maybe your children is something that brings you great joy. I am one that finds great joy in my children. I love not only my daughter, but also my son and my daughter. Uh, Even in all their strangeness, and sometimes, you know, little kids are just little kids, they bring me tremendous joy as a parent. Maybe it's the case that your spouse, your marriage brings you great joy. It could be your job or maybe even a hobby brings you great joy. It's, it's when you do that that you just feel so full of joy and happiness and life just seems to really be going the way that you want it. This morning, we're going to begin a series of lessons, and, and I'm not sure how long it, we're going to spend in it, maybe two or three weeks, studying in the book of Philippians about that very thing, joy. The Bible, and I've heard, uh, I've heard Brother Harrington say this before, and many of you have probably thought this, But as we go through this lesson, I'm going to try to prove to you that the Bible teaches us that Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. That those of us who follow Christ, who've had our sins forgiven, and who are living to serve God every day, we should be the people that are most saturated in joy. It should be the case that all of us could say, like we read in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 11, this beautiful passage in Psalm 5 and verse 11, in which David says this, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Rejoice. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. But not only that, he doesn't just say rejoice. He says, let them ever sing with joy, for joy, and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt you. May all of us be the type of people who can say that very thing that we read in Psalm 5 and verse 11. That God, as He cares for us, As He has saved us from our sins, He brings you and I so much joy that we can't help but sing about it. That we can't help but tell people about the joy that God has brought to my life. Christians should be the most joy-saturated people. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about why. It's easy for me to say up here to you, as a Christian, you should be full of joy. Your life should be joyful. And you may say, well, Josh, my life doesn't feel very joyful right now. I'm having trouble finding joy, being joyful 
in the midst of fill in the blank. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. How do I find joy no matter what is going on around me as a Christian? And that's what the book of Philippians is all about. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7 that God created us for a very specific purpose. Isaiah 43 and verse 7, the Bible says that God created us that we could bring Him glory. God created us to bring Him glory. And so over these next few weeks, this is the statement we're going to repeat over and over as we study about being joyful Christians. And it's this. God is most glorified in us. That is, we fulfill why He created us. Isaiah 43, 7 says, He created us for joy or for uh, glory, to, to bring Him glory. God is most glorified in you and I when we are most satisfied in Him. And that is the theme of the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a beautiful book. And we're going to study it over the next few weeks and really try to dig in and let your heart attach to this book. But we need to have a little bit of introductory things in our mind before we dive into the book of Philippians. One of the things that you will find when you study the book of Philippians is that the book of Philippians, if you look just in chapter 1 and verse 1, the very first word, it was written by Paul. But it wasn't just written by Paul because as we read the book of Philippians, we find out that Paul wrote this letter from a specific place, and that is, he wrote it while he was in prison. Verse 7 tells us in Philippians chapter 1 this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul was an interesting character in the New Testament. You may remember him as the man Saul, who was the Christian killer. Later, he receives the name Paul, and he begins to proclaim Jesus everywhere that he went. Interesting thing about Paul, Paul is what we may call a repeat offender. We see him in prison a lot throughout the Bible. The book of Acts tells us a lot about it. For instance, in Acts, the 16th chapter, you remember Paul and Silas were put in prison together in Philippi, the letter, the, the city to which he wrote this letter in the city of Philippi. You remember they were put in prison and the Philippian jailer was there who would probably have been a retired military uh, servant of the, of the Roman Empire. And uh, they were singing praises to God at midnight. You remember the earthquake shook the prison and the doors opened and the Philippian jailer almost took his own life. But Paul talked to him and... Through a result, the Philippian jailer took him to his home. He washed their stripes. He fed them, and his whole family was converted. Paul was in prison in Philippi. Acts, the 23rd chapter, we read that Paul was in prison in Caesarea for two years at least. He may have been in prison in Caesarea for longer than that. Acts, the 28th chapter, tells us that Paul had to go to prison in Rome. In fact, when you look into history, a man by the name of Clement of Rome told us that Paul was in prison seven times either for preaching the gospel or the situations that he got in while he was preaching the gospel. Paul was a repeat offender. He was in prison a lot. And so for him to write a letter from prison wasn't a big deal, but really what he writes about in the book of Philippians all centers around him being in prison. The things that he's experiencing and the fact that he is finding joy in the midst of that situation. 
And so that's the premise of the book of Philippians. Now, he writes it to the ancient city of Philippi. Now, the ancient city of Philippi was a city that was founded by Alexander the Great's father. And uh, there was a big gold mine not far from it. It's a very wealthy city. Uh, it became famous in 42 BC for a big, uh, a big war that went on between Antony and Cassius. And uh, it just was a very important city to that time. Philippi ended up being the, the first city in Greece that was taught the gospel. And so Paul had a very special love for Philippi. And he wrote to them this letter for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons you can see is in chapter 2. A man by the name of Epaphroditus was sent by Philippi to Rome where Paul was in prison so that he could bring him some kind of financial gift, something from the Philippian church, which is not uncommon. The Philippian church took really good care of Paul. They provided for him financially a number of times and they loved him and Paul loved them. They had a good relationship. So they sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus to bring this gift. But something happened when Epaphroditus showed up. He got sick. And because he was defending the gospel, that sickness almost killed him. And so Paul writes to them this letter in Philippians chapter 2, he says, telling them about Epaphroditus, that he was almost dead. And he was that way because of the sake of Christ. But yet he's not dead and he's going to come back to you. I'm sending him back to you, chapter 2 tells us. There are a number of other reasons we read in the Bible that uh, Paul writes to this church in Philippi. For instance, he writes to them in chapter 4 to say thank you for the gift, a proper response. They gave him a financial gift, and so he writes to them to tell them thank you. Another reason he wrote this is to encourage them to be unified. In fact, it gets so specific. In chapter 4, Paul calls out two women in the congregation. Now, could you imagine another preacher from another area writing Bowden a letter? And the elders standing up before the congregation and beginning to read the letter. And lo and behold, your name and somebody else's comes up because you've been in a disagreement. Could you imagine that? That would be a pretty awkward situation. But Paul knew that there needed to be unity in the church. And so he wrote to them and he named these two women in chapter 4 and verse 2, telling them that they needed to agree to get along. He also wrote to them, it tells us, to not be frightened by the people who oppose Jesus. He said, don't be scared about the people who are against the Lord because the Lord is your great reward. And so Paul wrote this book for a number of different reasons. But that's not why we're studying it, right? You remember? We're talking about how Paul, in the midst of his current predicament, had found great joyful joy in his life. And so when we begin to read through the book of Philippians, one of the things is you may think back and you say, well, what does the book of Philippians actually say? Some of you may think automatically Philippians. Hmm. Oh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've probably heard that verse before. Or maybe some of you remember Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where Paul says, I haven't already attained, but I press forward to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pushing forward in the race of life. Some of you may remember that. But if you were to take the time, and maybe you could do this this afternoon if you had some time, read through the short four chapters of the book of Philippians, one of the themes that is going to pop up time and time and time again is the theme of joy. The word joy or the word rejoice is seen no less than 15 times in the book of Philippians. And in four chapters, that's, that's a good bit. I mean, he mentions it a bunch. He constantly says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice over this. Rejoice over that. He says, I rejoice because of fill in the blank. He said, joy is brought by this. 
In one place in chapter 2, he says, Fulfill my joy by being of the same mind. Joy was of a very large concern for the Apostle Paul when he wrote this letter. A few examples. One of them is in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul writes to the church and he tells them, essentially, that when he prays for other Christians, he does so with great joy. Praying to God about other people, that should bring you and I great joy. It should make us very happy and make us feel fulfilled when you and I get to pray for others. You know what it's like being a kid at Christmas? And I remember when I began to make that shift from loving getting gifts to being adult and loving giving gifts. You, you remember when you made that shift? Maybe some of you are like, no, I don't know that. Okay, But I remember making that shift where I enjoyed giving things to my children. You see, as Christians, it's very fulfilling to pray about ourselves. But in our Christian life, we should make that shift where we find this great joy in praying for others specifically. And so Paul says, praying for you brings me great joy. Not only that, he tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, that joy should be a product of a good attitude. And he tells them in chapter 2 that they should do all things without complaining or disputing, that we may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault. So he tells us that our attitude should bring about joy. But not only that, he says also in Philippians chapter 4 that a product of my joy is that I have a reputation of doing good. And when I have a reputation of doing good, that should bring me great joy. Joy. The subject of Paul's letter. One of the purposes that he writes to this people. And so we have a few things we're going to look at over the next few weeks because the book of Philippians is filled with things that Christians should find joy in. Make no mistake, as we study through the book of Philippians, it's not going to be some secret recipe of how to be happy all the time. What Paul is going to tell us is that as Christians, if we redirect our perspective, it changes everything about our life. Because Philippians is filled with things that Christians should find joy in. In other words, Paul is teaching us that God is most glorified in us. That we bring Him great glory when no matter what goes on around me, I find my satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. So this morning, Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 18. A very short passage that is very self-explanatory, but that teaches us one of the areas that you and I should find joy in. Now, spoiler alert, the joy is found in verse 18. But it's going to take us traveling from verse 12 to verse 18 to get there to have the context. So let's begin in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read the whole text. Then we're going to go back and verse by verse make some comments, and then the lesson will be yours. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Read along with me, if you will. This is what Paul says. After he finishes his introductory remarks, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brethren, brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18, Paul says, what then? In other words, what are we supposed to think about this? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, Paul says, I rejoice. Let's go through these verses one by one and try to understand what it is Paul is telling us should bring us joy. In other words, how should you and I as Christians find joyful living in the midst of the world we live in? Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. Verse 12. Notice what Paul states at the very beginning of this section. He says, just from the outset. Now, it's obvious that his readers already knew he was in prison because they sent him a gift. They already knew that he needed someone to give that gift to him in prison, so they sent Epaphroditus. And he had already told them in verse 7, I am in prison. My imprisonment, he mentions in verse 7. We read that verse earlier. So he goes into verse 12 and he tells them this. Now, the thing that you think should be a, a, a burden has actually had the opposite effect. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really, and I believe it's the New King James that uses the word actually, that what has happened to me has actually served or has really served to advance the gospel. Now, remember, Paul was a man who dedicated his life to serving God and to preaching the gospel. From the moment in Acts chapter 9 in which he obeyed Christ through the rest of his days until he died, he preached Christ and Christ crucified. So it's no assumption really to say that he was doing that in this stage of life. He was preaching Christ. But what had happened was that he was preaching Christ and apparently there was some opposition to that which normally took place. Whether it was like in Acts 16 when he performed a miracle, he was put into prison. Or in other places where he was accused by the Jews of certain things, he was put in prison. We don't know. What we do know is that he was put into prison. And like him, or like the Christians he was writing to, I would probably have that same reaction. Oh no, you've been put into prison. Suddenly your ability to preach the gospel is going to be hindered. Your ability to go out and meet people and tell them about Jesus, oh no, you can't do that anymore. You're locked up in prison. But what does Paul say about his circumstance? He doesn't say, oh, woe is me. Look at, look at the situation I've gotten myself. Look, look how terrible this is. In a few weeks, we're going to have a lesson on uh, attitudes that we should not have as Christians. And one of those is going to be the attitude of self-pity. One of the things that we learn in Philippians chapter 2 is that Paul, he, he opposed self-pity. He wasn't going to feel sorry for himself because of his circumstance. He said, you know what? What has happened to me, it's not the most terrible thing in the world. Now, if I was put in prison, I would probably say, this is the worst thing in the world. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. But Paul doesn't say that. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What seemed like it would be a burden to his Christian responsibility actually became a blessing. I wonder how many ways we could apply that to our lives as Christians. How many things have happened to you in life where you've said, you know what, this is such a huge burden. But when you look back at it, you say, you know what, there was actually a lot of opportunity in that. I had a lot of ways that I could have brought God glory, but I was on maybe the self-pity wagon 
or I was feeling sorry for myself or, you know, fill in the blank. I wonder how many ways that would apply to us as Christians. How often do we do this in our life? We assume our circumstances would just be different, that we could do God so much more if things were just a little bit different. But that wasn't Paul, was it? He looked at his circumstances. He didn't say, well, if things were just a little different, I could do so much more for the Lord. No, what he said was, in the midst of what's going on, I'm going to do as much as I can for God. I'm going to bring every bit of glory that I can to him, no matter the circumstance. And so Paul, in the midst of his circumstance, still was preaching Christ. One of the joys of you and I being kingdom people, of us being in Christ, is the ability to look at any circumstance and see the opportunity to glorify God in it. To know that what is going on, as Paul says later, is actually for the best. Because I can bring God glory in it. So that's verse 12. That's kind of his opening statement. What has happened to me has actually happened to advance the gospel. In other words, you thought it was going to hinder the gospel. But guess what? It has actually helped me further the gospel. And then he gets into verse 13. So the first idea here is his circumstance. He doesn't let his circumstance overwhelm him. But in verse 13, he says this. So that... The things that have happened to me have happened to advance the gospel to the end that is what he's saying. It has advanced the gospel and here is how it has advanced the gospel. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is in Christ. Paul's circumstances led him to souls. Now let's stop there before we develop that thought any further. Some of your Bibles, depending on the translation, may not have the imperial guard here in this translation or, or in this statement. Some of your translations may use the word the praetorium. Now, many people believe that it was Paul who was under the guard of the praetorian guard. And if you know anything about the Roman culture or how they uh, basically developed their army, uh, I, went, I read one scholar that said the Praetorian Guard was basically the equivalent of America's uh, Green Berets. They were the best of the best. In other words, they were the men that were pure in blood. They were all born uh, pure Italian. They were commissioned by Augustus. Uh, I think I have a slide on this. Yeah. They were, uh, they were all born, born pure Italian. And, and one of their responsibilities was they were bodyguards of kings important political officials, things like that. But they also, in addition to being bodyguards, were those who gathered the intelligence on other countries. They were some of the best of the best. They were commissioned by Augustus, and they were essentially his secret service. Now, after Augustus, they were commissioned into other responsibilities, like what we read here with Paul. They were to watch after government officials, political officials, and high-level prisoners. Paul was considered a high-level prisoner. Uh, probably 90% of the scholars that I read said that they believed this was the guard that Paul was under. He was a man that was considered very important. Not only that, he was a man that was kept under very close watch in house arrest while he was in Rome. Paul said this, You think the situation that I'm in is actually going to hinder the gospel? But guess what? I have access to somebody's soul that I may not have had access before. I have the ability to share the gospel with somebody that I never would have met otherwise. So this circumstance that may seem so terrible, it is actually for the best of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm able to be around these people, the, what many people believe to be the Praetorian Guard. Okay? If we develop the attitude that Paul has, 
I believe we can gain a new perspective. It says in the New King James Version there at the beginning of that verse that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. In the ESV it says it has become known. Okay? Here's something that all of us should, should take home and chew on all week long. If I am going to live as a kingdom man or woman and find joy in Christ, it should be blatantly obvious. People shouldn't have to guess, are you a Christian? It should be blatantly obvious. They didn't have to guess if Paul was a Christian. He was in prison, and guess what he said? It has been made evident to all the palace guard, all these people that are watching me, they know 100% of fact what I'm about. They know what I am doing in this life. They know what my purpose is. It is evident to them. They can't miss it. It's obvious. They know it. How many people would we say around us know 100% that we follow Jesus? It's so evident. It's obvious. You can't miss it. That's what I'm about. That's my purpose. Paul says it's evident to the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is in Christ. It is in Christ. I wonder if we stopped looking at our circumstances often and looked at the potential, how many souls we would see. You know, how many of us say, you know what, oh man, I'm sick, I'm in the hospital, this is just a terrible situation, I'm just going to be a knot on the log, and this is just awful. How many of us could look at that situation a little bit different? How about when we get a new job? Man, I have to deal with all these new people, and this is just terrible, I have to deal with these people I didn't know before, and how often do we look at that as an opportunity for the Lord? How about when we get stuck at the DMV? I know all of you have done this at least once. You get stuck around all these people that you would never have met otherwise, and we sit there, and we're so angry because the wait's taking forever, and you know there are at least four employees back there drinking coffee that could be taking me to renew my driver's license. Why is this taking... You know, how often do we look at those situations as a terrible circumstance instead of great potential for the Lord? Even though there were chains on Paul's wrist, everyone knew that it wasn't the chains that he really cared about the most. They knew it was Christ. It became evident to everybody that my imprisonment is for Christ, that what I do is, is directed to him. Verse 14, verse 14, Philippians 1:14. So he says, my circumstance is that which seems terrible, but guess what? It's been the best for God. My situation is such that I have access to people I never would have had access to, and they know who I serve. But understand that having joy, and we're going to get to verse 18, I promise, and then we're going to wrap this on a nice bow and call it the invitation song. We get this, that Paul says, the circumstance, it does not affect me. Because of my circumstance, I now have influence on people I never had influence on. But when you and I live the life God has asked us to live, with the attitude he's asked us to live, in the heart that he's asked us to live. We have influence on other people in the world, but you better believe you have influence on your Christian brothers and sisters because this is what Paul says. My chains have influenced the guard, but my chains have also influenced my Christian friends. He says this in verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. My faithfulness to God has an effect on the brethren that are around me. 
One of the things uh, that, that I like to do, I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, I was a little kid, when I was a little kid at night, I'd like to stay up and watch cops. That was like one of my favorite things to watch, and now they have all different kinds of television shows that, that, predict, uh, that show police officers in live time and all that, and you can watch that on uh, television, uh, different stations. I, I was watching a show not long ago where uh, a police officer was called to an apartment, and there was this young 12-year-old boy who was just wrecking havoc. He was breaking all his mom's stuff in the apartment, and he was just, uh, he was acting just crazy, and the police officer came up, put him in cuffs, put him in the back of the car, and then he went back and talked to the mom. He said, listen, I'm going to leave your son in the back of the car for you know, about 45 minutes. I'm going to let him sweat it out. He'll cry. He'll be upset. And then I'm going to come back and tell him that you've talked me out of taking him to prison. And he's going to come back, and I hope he's going to be a different son. And uh, they, they went back and interviewed this lady afterwards, and she said her son had been completely different because he was afraid of going to prison. That was his fear. You know, I don't know about you, but I would assume that there are a lot of people in this world that a fear of being locked up has kept them from doing something. Now I know there's a lot of people who the fear of locked up has, has not affected them at all. But I believe there are probably a lot of people that the fear of being isolated from their family and having to live in a, in a place they don't want to, in a cell with people they don't know, I believe that that's probably kept a lot of people from doing what they ought not to do. You know what's ironic about the statement in verse 14? Prison didn't do that to those Christians. In fact, Paul said, me being in prison and preaching the gospel, it hasn't scared these other brethren. In fact, it's motivated them. The fact that I was willing to stand with God has a great influence on the people around me. Not just unbelievers, but believers as well. We should never underestimate the power of good Christian godly friendships. There's literally nothing that is more beneficial to you outside of a good godly marriage that can help you get to heaven than good Christian friends. People that you can rely on. Now, we all know 1 Corinthians 15.33, don't we? Evil companionship corrupts good morals. Because the negative is true, we need to understand the positive is also true. If evil companionship corrupts good morals, guess what? Good companionship prom promotes good morals. When I put myself around good people and I put myself around people that want to serve God, it becomes much easier to serve the Lord. Paul said, all these brethren have watched me in prison, in my chains, preach Christ. And guess what? Now they're much more confident and bold to preach Christ. Never underestimate the impact you can have on other people when you stand for God in the midst of a hard scenario. Verse 14, he says that those people, I apologize, that's not verse 14 up there. Verse 14, he said, those other people, they have become more confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment. My imprisonment has given them conflict, uh, confidence and they have become much more bold to preach the gospel. Then we get to verses 15 through 17. Just very quickly, let's breeze through these. Paul says that there are some who have been motivated to preach the gospel because he has been in prison. But he says... All of the people who are preaching the gospel, they're not all preaching the gospel for the right motives. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfishness and not sincerely, but thinking <clears throat> to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul's fellow Christians had grown bold. They were beginning to preach the gospel, and yet some of them, surprisingly, were not preaching it for the right reasons. Now, there's a lot of debate about what the not right reasons were that they preached the gospel. Now, we know it's because of envy and strife, that they were selfish. 
But we're not quite sure what brought about that selfishness. Some people think, for instance, that it was to fight against the Romans. In other words, these people weren't preaching the gospel because they loved Christ most. They were preaching the gospel to get back at the Romans and to fight the quote-unquote establishment, to go against what was popular with the Romans. Other people believe they were preaching against them for the Jews who had caused so much of an uproar in Paul's life that he ultimately was put in prison a lot. Other people think they were preaching the gospel just for themselves. They were selfish. In other words, they wanted to be blessed with the opportunity to suffer for Christ. And in other words, they were very prideful, selfish. They wanted to exalt self more than Christ. And yet others think they may have preached because Paul was a man who had great authority. And they were envious. They were jealous of Paul being an apostle. To be honest with you, we don't know. And it doesn't really matter what we know. Because we know that they preached for the wrong reason. But I know that they weren't preaching something that was false. Because Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6-9, through 9, if you don't bring the doctrine of Christ, you're preaching a different gospel. So I know they weren't preaching false things. They were preaching Jesus because in verse 14 he calls them brethren. He calls them brothers. He thinks they're, they're Christians along with him because they're, they're preaching the truth. But what matters is not why they preached, Paul says the thing in verse 18 that brings me great joy is that they are preaching. And here's the crux of the lesson. Here's where we get down to the nitty gritty and we close it out. Because in verse 18 he says this. What then? What am I supposed to say? Whether Christ is preached in pretense or he's preached in truth, I rejoice because Jesus is exalted. You see, Paul wasn't like these people. These people that he mentioned in verses earlier. He wasn't someone who preached the gospel in order to have himself uplifted, in order for himself to be brought pride, in order for other people to see him. All that Paul cared about was Christ being magnified. That was the most important thing to him. And because that was the most important thing to him, Paul didn't care whether or not he was in prison. As long as God was magnified. Paul didn't care who he was around in prison because guess what? Those are more souls he can impact. There's an old saying that they used to have when we were in school that I, I, I've always remembered that if a man loves God enough, it doesn't matter where you put him, he's going to convert everybody he can find. That's Paul. It didn't matter if you put him in the middle of the city or the middle of the prison. He was going to share with people Jesus, not because he wanted to glorify himself. If Paul wanted people looking at him, he would have been mad he was in prison. But yet that's not the main thing Paul cared about. In other words, Paul got this. Paul understood. God is most glorified in you and I when we're most satisfied in Him. No matter what my circumstance is, verse 12, I'm in prison or I'm not. No matter who I have influence over, Christians or non-Christians. No matter what people do in comparison to me, he said, some people preach for this reason, some people preach for that reason. I don't care, they're preaching Christ and that's the best thing. Paul didn't care. What he truly wanted was Christ to be exalted. And so because of that, Paul had great joy. You may say, Josh, well, it's kind of hard for me to have joy. My circumstances are pretty difficult I got some hard things going on in my life. And folks, so did Paul. You may say, Josh, it's kind of hard for me to find joy in my life. There are people in my life that are really bringing me down. 
They're really wearing me down. They're like a weight I have to wear every day. Paul had the same thing. You say, well, Josh, there are things that are happening to my life that are just difficult, and I'm just having trouble finding any kind of joy in life. The reason oftentimes that I believe we cannot have joy is because we're looking in all the wrong places. When I strive to be satisfied in God and Him alone, everything else pales in comparison as long as He is exalted. And so, Paul understood that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. In other words, Paul was joyful regardless of his circumstances. Are you? Paul was joyful in his influence on Christians and non-Christians, are you? Paul, he was joyful regardless of what other people did or said, are you? You see, Paul was joyful in the gospel and the gospel alone, are you? Maybe you need to reach deep down in your soul and find where it is that you lost this mentality that Paul has. And you say, Josh, I need to be more joyful. Because God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Maybe you need to bring God more glory this morning by returning back to putting Him as the, num as the number one thing in your life. Maybe you need to develop this attitude that Paul had. Or maybe you need to make something right, whether that's obeying the gospel or repenting of a sin. If so, please come as we stand and sing.